Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. It is God's word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today. Open my heart to hear God speak a word. Reveal Jesus to me and fill me with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give everybody a roaring round of applause. Woo! That filled the house. And it wasn't just me. You guys did great. Turn with me real quick to Romans chapter 1. That's not in your notes and it's not on the screen. But we need to go there. Romans chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Romans chapter 1. And I just want to read verses. Let's see. um, 24 through 27. Just to get started. I'm going to read it. But I want you to know where it is in your Bible. Romans 1. 24 through 27. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Therefore, now, whenever there's a therefore, it's therefore a reason. It's therefore because all of the other verses up to verse 24, he was making a case. And I'm going to explain it just briefly. For time's sake, we're not going to read everything, but it's important that we interpret Scripture correctly. And not take things out of context. So I'm just letting you know that. Let me read this. Therefore God also gave them up. People. To uncleanness. In the lusts of their hearts. To dishonor their bodies. Among themselves. Who exchanged the truth. Of God. For the lie. And worshipped and served. The creature rather than the. Creator capital C who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up, that's the second time, to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, Burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. When people deny God as creator, as sustainer, as Lord, when people choose to resist and refuse God, and suppress the truth, and not recognize God in the ways that He's made Himself known through creation, when people refuse and refuse and refuse the drawing of the Spirit of God. At some point, and I don't understand it, at some point, God gives them up. He says, okay, you don't want me to be your God? I won't be your God. I'll let you do what you want to do. This word lusts 
is a, a word that communicates a, an ungodly craving, an ungodly, off-limit, sensual craving that God doesn't want us to have. He gives us good desires, and then there are some desires, lusts, that are forbidden. And these people that are being taught, talked about here in this text gave themselves over to these ungodly, vile passions and desires, and they kept pursuing that and kept leaning into that, and then God gave them in. He gave in and gave them up. And then it even says that they got what's coming to them in their body. There's no real clear understanding of what that is, but it ends in a bad way for people who give themselves over to this lifestyle. And I know this is sensitive talk, but if you've been paying any attention in our culture, in our news, or any social media, this is what's happening. It's, perva- it, it's, it's, it's per- pervasive in our culture, in our community. I wanted to start with this text because I want to show you a, a video clip. It's only about a minute and 20 seconds or so, the part that I want you to see. And I wanted to set that up, not because I'm being hateful, not because I'm being hurtful, and certainly not because God wants us to be mean towards anyone. But we want to make sure that we understand what's happening in our postmodern culture. A culture that denies absolute truth, that wants to destroy it, and that has moved over into subjective truth. Relativism. I can make my own truth to match my reality, regardless of what has been truth and reality all of this time. And I want us to see a short video clip, and real quick before we see it, It's a woman who hosts a podcast. She's showing a news clip on TV of a news anchor interviewing a trans person and a minister of the gospel. And I want us to see this exchange. And you have to listen very carefully to the words that they're going to use so that we can continue to move forward and talk about what we're going to talk about today. Let's go ahead and play the video. I mean, the thing is that there are real people that are being impacted. Your community is being impacted. And, and I wonder if there is a way to disentangle people's sort of not understanding of trans folks, right? I think the T is the toughest one in the alphabet soup, right? In the LGBTQ, the T gets get right because people don't have an understanding. People, even if they're not mean or not angry, don't have an understanding. Is there a way to sort of disentangle people's lack of understanding from this Gosh. This moral panic is now getting drag shows banned, even though that isn't trans. No, no. And, <laughs> and I think children are only unsafe at drag shows when a shooter shows up to kill them. That's right. That's where the threat is. I would challenge anyone just to get to know trans people. We are a vibrant, diverse community, as diverse as anyone else. You know, I'm from the great state of Texas. I served in the military. I go to church every Sunday. My faith is very important to me. But God made me in her image. God made me transgender. And to see these people so cynically weaponize this and exploit these children's debts and their teachers' debts, it breaks my heart. I wonder what those families are thinking right now. What do you you feel when you have somebody like Michael Knowles say at CPAC, we need to eradicate transgenderism, and when somebody like Tucker Carlson says that transgender people are at war with Christians? I can't see Christ in their words. That's for sure. I can't see where the biblical principles of loving your neighbor and walking the walk with Christ that they can see. I, I can't see what they're seeing right now because that's not of Christ. It's not. Yeah, and, and I'll give you the last word. I'll be stronger. This is Antichrist. 
Yes. This is anti-gospel, mm. anti-Christ. Mm. And so <laughs> this is a false worship we're confronting here. We've got to confront it theologically yeah. and not just politically. Amen. Politicians mm. could do something okay. if they wanted to. What's behind that is they are worshiping a false god, and they are literally sacrificing all our children. I'm from MSU. Yeah. When the hit, shooting hit, 50,000 kids, all the parents called. Yeah. Parents got to not just start keep calling. Parents and students have to act That's right. to change all this. And we can do it. Amen. We can do it. Amen. Uh, Charlotte Clymer. Stay families. safe. We absolutely are. Absolutely. Uh, Charlotte Clymer, Jim Wallace. Thank you both. Thank I really you. appreciate it. I really, you were the two specific people that I wanted to talk to about this today. So thank you for making yourselves available. That's good. Did you hear what the trans person said? God made me in her image. That's not what my Bible says. I don't know if you realize that, but that's not what it says in Genesis 1.26. And he made them male and female. He made them male and female. And then the minister, I was shocked. He's a theologian. He said, I'll tell you what this is. It's anti-Christ. It's anti-gospel. And I'm just curious to know what Bible he's reading. And the Apostle Paul has given us a warning. There's warnings throughout the scripture. Our theme text for this whole series is 1 Timothy 4.1. Paul said, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, that's now, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines, teachings of devils. So teachings that are devised by the kingdom of darkness with the power of darkness and evil behind them that are finding their way into our churches, into our pastors, into our pulpits, finding their way and spreading pervasively in our communities. And these teachings that people buy into will cause some people who aren't grounded and rooted in the truth of Scripture to depart from the faith. Maybe not intentionally, but because they weren't grounded and rooted in the truth, little by little they began to drift, and they begin to buy the lie. That's what Romans 1 says. They suppressed the truth, but they bought the lie. And so now we've got this I'll be as bold to say this. Uh, it's not in the Bible, but in my, just in my opinion, there's almost this religious push for this whole movement. And friend, they're evangelizing. And they're discipling. And they're doing everything they can, putting millions of dollars behind this movement so that this movement can begin to penetrate culture and everything can just become crazy. It's crazy. Now, again, I want to just reiterate, I'm not showing this or saying any of this to be mean, to be hurtful, to be hateful. Let me pull up a seat so I don't get too excited. We've been on a series that we're calling I've Got Questions. And the subtitle is, how to reconcile God's absolute truth in a postmodern culture. Modernism, postmodernism, 
hey, yeah, absolute truth, we don't really need it. Applied postmodernism, not only do we not need it, but we want to destroy it, and we want to replace it with our truth. That's where we're at right now. Applied postmodernism. And this is important for all of us because um, we want to stay grounded and rooted in the truth. We want to stay with what God says. And we want our children and our grandchildren to stay with what God says. My heart goes out to parents who are struggling with this, this pervasive doctrine that's, that's brainwashing our community, our culture, our kids, our society. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it'll be on the screen. The apostle Peter says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear or reverence, with gentleness and reverence. So I want to talk to you today about defending the faith in love. That's your first fill in the blank on your sermon guide. It's the title of today's sermon across all of our campuses. Defending the faith in love. The message version, 1 Peter 3.15 says this. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are. And always with the utmost courtesy. Look at this word defense. Be ready to give a defense. It's the Greek word apologia. We've talked about it once before briefly. But I want to take a closer look at it today. Because it's going to be at the core of our lesson. Apologia. A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A. And that means a reasoned statement or substantiated argument or an answer. A rational response. A logical explanation. This is where we get the English word apologetics. Apologetics, in short, is knowing what you believe, why you believe it, and then being able to communicate that effectively to others. Now, let me just say this in a very gracious, loving way. That doesn't mean we need to know everything from Genesis to Revelation. It doesn't mean we need to be theologians, although some people are. But we should be growing in our understanding of the truth and little by little, allowing the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to shape us, renewing our minds, and understand some basic theological truths And why we believe them. And this is progressive. This is something that we'll be learning and growing in for the rest of our lives. Isn't that true? But there's nowhere in this text that gives you and I a license to sit back on our spiritual laurels and not press into understanding some things about my role in defending the faith. Now this is super, super important today because in Acts chapter 2... It shows us that the first Christians were dedicated to the daily study of the Apostles' Doctrine, Acts 2.42. Today's Western Christian culture 
is largely emotionally based or experientially oriented without enough Bible understanding to know what they believe, much less being able to state why they believe it. Across the board, that's the state of the church. And the reality is confirmed by a Gallup poll in July of 2022, which shows a record low. Only 20% of Americans believe that the Bible is the actual word of God and should be taken literally. A new high, 29% of Americans say the Bible is simply a collection of fables Legends, a history book, and moral precepts written by mere men. In other words, God didn't really write it. It's not that big of a deal. Just people. And unfortunately, the largest percentage of people taking the survey, 49%, say and believe, although the Bible is inspired by God, not all of it should be taken literally. In other words, as God's authoritative final word. Perfect. And enough for what we need to worship him and live in life. So what's the conclusion? The conclusion is this drop in Bible confidence and its resulting Bible illiteracy gives way to another postmodern challenge to Christian apologetics. And we're calling that emotionalism. Emotionalism is a tendency to place an excess amount or value on one's emotions and personal experience as opposed to objective truth. If something is objective, it corresponds with reality. That's what objective means. Objective truth is something that is true for everyone, whether they agree with it. Come on, finish it with me. Or not. That's objective truth. Okay. For example, men, the male... They have one X and one Y chromosome. True? Objective truth? Females, the women, have two X chromosomes. True? Objective truth? Is that reality? That's reality. But we've got another set of perspectives. We've got another set of subjective truth that's being forced on our culture. Again, I'm not being mean, I'm not being rude, I'm not being hateful. I just want to share with us, what does the Bible say about defending the faith? What is my responsibility? What is our responsibility as Christians? C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian author, was quoted saying, When the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. Friend, Christians are supposed to think differently than the world. Could I just say this? God wants you to lose your worldly, ungodly mind. Can I get an amen? As a matter of fact, Romans 12, 1 and 2 speaks to that. The writer says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies... To God, because of all that He's done for you, let them, your bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. Verse 2 
Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The renewing of the mind is so powerful. This word renewing comes from the Greek word anakinosis. Anakinosis meaning to renew again or to renovate or to bring back to God's original intent before the fall of mankind. Now, I know we live in a fallen world and we will never be perfectly aligned with God in our thinking. But can I just remind you, all over the scriptures, we are admonished, encouraged to change the way we think. The Bible says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. The Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The Bible says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The Bible says, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is peace. The Bible says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you. Over and over and over and over, we're encouraged to renew our minds to be convinced of the truth, to allow the truth and the Holy Spirit to partner, to renew, to change, to renovate, to think differently. This renewing speaks to the potentiality of mankind's ability to align his heart and his mind with God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if somebody thinks that I've lost my mind because I'm running in the opposite direction of the cliff, I say, I'm going to keep going. Amen. I'm going to keep going God's way. Pastor Robert, is it really necessary to think differently, to go a different direction? Is it really necessary to defend the faith? Can I just go along with you? You defend the faith. Can I just go along with the brother or sister and let them? I'll just, I'll just kind of just be quiet and just, friend, when approved reading material in our kids' public school is so sexually explicit that community town hall meetings are taking place. And when parents who are trying to protect their kids from being overly sexualized at such a young age stand up to read a sample of the approved reading material to call the teachers and the board members to responsibility, the school board and teachers tell the parent they can't read that material and use that kind of language in their meetings. But it's not only okay, but required for the kids to have to read the same material in the front of the class or fail the assignment. Church, it's time to defend the faith. I've got a picture of some... Infant attire from Kohl's. Let's take a look at that. When Kohl's department store is selling infant clothing that highlights gay pride, that highlights sexual sin, indoctrinating 
kids from birth. Church, it's time to defend the faith. How about this next picture? You've probably seen it. When Disney has a grown man with a mustache wearing a dress as the personal shopper for children as they enter their enchanted store, church, it's time to defend the faith. How about this? When biological stronger boys and men are allowed to compete in girls and women's sporting, robbing them of victories, and then use their bathrooms and locker rooms to shower and change, it's time to defend the faith. How about this one? When North Face Apparel has a trans person as their TV ad front person, look at this picture now, who's a man with a mustache, full of makeup and wearing a dress on TV, inviting people to the great outdoors where there will be hiking and lesbians doing artwork. That's on TV. It's time to defend the faith. You've heard about Target. How about Target? They're selling in the front of their stores. I don't know if they've taken them down or pushed them to the back, but it's been all over the news. They're selling in the front of their stores tuck-friendly bathing suits for trans women. Those are men identifying as women. Tuck bathing suits to hide their private parts. And then children come in with their parents and they're asking them about that apparel. It's time to defend the faith. We can't just sit back. I'm not saying we're being rude. I'm not saying we're being hateful. I'm not saying we're fighting. We're going to talk about that. I'm from Los Angeles, California. I grew up going to the Dodger Stadium, having hot dogs and watching Dodgers play. When the Dodgers invite, uninvite, then invite again. A trans, queer, nun group, N-U-N, not N-O-N-E, N-U-N, nun group, called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to be honored and perform and make a mockery of Catholicism, of Christianity, of the cross, and of Christ. It's time to defend the faith. Come on, would somebody say amen? It's time to defend the faith. In the book of Jude, in the New Testament, Jude writes to a group of Christians who were facing false teaching that threatened the faith of the believers in his day. Listen to what he says in Jude chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Jude, he's introducing himself, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's made Jesus the Lord and master of his life and brother of James to those who are called, sanctified, by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, encouraging you to contend earnestly for the faith 
which was once for all delivered, delivered to the saints. The faith is not just your personal perspective or your personal viewpoint of faith. When it says the faith, it's talking about the faith that's revealed by Jesus and that was passed down to the apostles and the disciples over the church age and is available to us today. It's the faith that God ordained in the scriptures, the divine inspiration of God. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, I had to write to you, and I'm asking you to contend earnestly for the faith. So here's some fill in the blanks real quickly. I want to share with you three truths about apologetics. Remember in 1 Peter, it says you should be ready to give a defense, the Greek word apologia. I want to show three truths to you about apologetics that we have to catch if we're going to learn and we're going to be able to move into defending the faith in love. Here's your first fill in the blank. Apologetics is meant to be a legitimate part of every Christian's life. Would you say it with me? Come on, say it with me. Apologetics is meant to be a legitimate part of every Christian's life. Now, don't let apologetics tie you up. We're talking about defending the faith. That's what apologetics means. Okay? Look at Jude 1, again, verse 1. He says, those who are called, if you have a pen or a highlighter in your Bible, you want to underline or highlight or circle these words. Those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Here's something I want us to catch. Every Christian has been called by God. Every Christian, before you decided to become a follower of Jesus, it was the Spirit of God through someone, through a message, through the gospel, some way, somehow, God wooed you, He drew you to Himself, He called you into a relationship with Him. Every Christian has been called by God. Second thing I want you to notice is that every Christian is sanctified by God. The word sanctified simply means to be set apart by God and for God. Obviously, there's the sanctification process. How many of you have heard of that before? Sanctification, becoming holy or being transformed, becoming more and more like Christ. That's an ongoing progressive work of the Spirit in our lives. But a moment you said yes to Jesus, God sanctified you. It's something He's done. In other words, He said, I'm setting you apart for me. I'm setting you apart to me. Every Christian has been sanctified by God. And then third, I want you to see, is that every Christian is being preserved by God for His purposes. The reason you and I are taking another breath is because God's preserving you. He's sustaining you. He's keeping you. He woke you up this morning. He's still got something for you to do for Jesus, for God. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a big leader. You could be someone as simple as cleaning up on a Sunday afternoon in the house of God. You could be sharing your love with your neighbors. He has a purpose for you, and he's preserving you for that purpose. Look with me, continue in Jude 1.3. This is what he says. Again, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. Let me bring this up. I think this is a good point. He says, I was diligent to write to you about something That's common. It's our salvation. But then he found it necessary to switch 
probably by the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. He, he intended to write about something, but then he switched to write about something else. And he said, I found it necessary, necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints, once for all to the saints, all the saints. That includes you and I. Now, just so we're all clear, saints does not mean a little statue. It's not referring to a saint that Catholicism would teach or highlight. Saint Peter, Saint Paul. It's not saints in this context is the believers. You're a saint. Wives, did you know your husband was a saint? And you're like, oh, I don't know about that one, Pastor Robert. No, he is. He's a saint. Okay? He says it's once for all delivered to all the things. Why? Jude, Jude is writing with this urgency to encourage this community of believers. By the way, that includes us. What is he encouraging to do? To contend earnestly for the faith. Why? Because it was being challenged and perverted by false teachers and people who were buying into the false teaching of the day. And it was infiltrating the community of believers. Now let's look at these words Contend earnestly. Contend earnestly. I like Greek words. I like to look at them. I like to kind of help me to understand things a little more. It's the Greek word apa or epakonizomai. Epakonizomai. You don't have to say it. I just want to share something with you. It's a two-part word. Epi, E-P-I, and that means for. For. Uh, agonizomai means to strive or fight. In reference to something. Agonizomai means to contend or to fight with adversaries. It's talking about a wrestling match. Not physically. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Right? It's a spiritual battle. Agonizomai is where we get the English word agony or agonize. Have you ever heard of agony? Agonize? This word paints a picture. The picture that it's painting is something that's not going to be easy, but will require us to stand our ground and fight for the faith, refusing to compromise truth to the point that, if need be, we will endure agonizing opposition, even if it results in persecution. Brother Wade Morton, who's not here with us today, he serves as a uh, board member right here in the town of Ranlow, uh, uh, a board director. And they had to vote, I think, last year on whether or not the town of Ranlow would host or highlight Pride Month in the month of June. And everybody cast their votes, and Wade cast a vote that was against it. That's what he believes. He says, I'm against it. I don't, want, I don't think we should do that. Let's not do it. Anyway, the vote passed, and they decided to do it. Well, some people found out that Wade voted against it and publicly on Facebook began to criticize him and make fun of him and berate him and call him things and persecute him in front of everybody. Can I just tell us and remind us, the Bible says, woe to him who calls evil good, and who calls good evil. So what was Wade doing? Wade was defending his faith. That was his option, his opportunity. It was his belief, and he voted the way he wanted to vote. And he received persecution because of it. 
Can I remind us what Jesus said when he was praying for his disciples in John 17, 14? He said, Father, I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. See, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. We represent the king in the earth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, your word is truth. So God's word is truth. And he wants for us to be comfortable progressively to defend the faith. Every Christian. Apologetics is part of every Christian's life, defending the faith. Just like the first and the second greatest commandments. Do you remember those? The first commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. The second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you know those are non-negotiable in the kingdom of God? This is what God wants us to do. And the Great Commission. How about the Great Commission? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, followers of me. And I'm with you forever and ever. Those were Jesus' words. So apologetics falls into that category. Just like the first and second greatest commandments. Just like the great commission. Learning to defend our faith doesn't mean we're rude. Doesn't mean we're mean. Doesn't mean we're hateful. Doesn't mean we're asking somebody to put up their dukes. It means I'm standing with the truth. Amen. Second truth. These will be quicker. Number two. Second fill in the blank. Apologetics includes divine benefits that multiply when used. Come on, say it with me. Apologetics include divine benefits that multiply when used. Notice Jude 1-2 again. He says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Did you catch that? Here, Jude intentionally chooses what we would call a Trinitarian blessing. It's a triple blessing. Mercy, peace, and love. All of these are vital necessities in times of a culture that waters down the truth or flat out denies truth altogether. All in an attempt by the kingdom of darkness to thwart the plan of God in the earth and get God's people to drift and depart from the faith and to suppress the message of the gospel. We need peace and mercy and grace and love. We need these. Let's look at the words real quickly. Mercy. Elos or Elios. E-L-E-I-O-S in the Greek. It means God's will, God's good will or kind desire to help those who are miserable and afflicted. That's mercy. Jude asks for mercy because these Christians had begun to get lax in their vigilance allowing false teachers to pervert the gospel message. They needed to repent and find strength in God's mercy to reestablish truth in their lives. How about peace? Irene, a tranquil, quiet, restful state of the soul that is assured of its salvation through Christ and thus fears nothing from God and is content with its earthly lot or circumstances 
regardless of what that currently entails. God will give you peace in the middle of the storm. And they needed it in the middle of this spiritual chaos and false teaching and spiritual war. Jude declares this peace over them, this divine peace over them to ease their hearts, their minds, and their emotions in the middle of what was going on. How about the word love? Agape. A divine love that continues to give even if it's never responded to, thanked, or acknowledged. That's God's love. In fact, one could say that agape love is a love that isn't based on response, but it's based on a decision to keep on loving regardless of a recipient's response or lack thereof. Now, this kind of resilient love is God's love, and it should flow from the hearts of believers. It should flow from the hearts of believers. This divine virtue would be required to confront false teachers with God's truth and restore other believers who have abandoned the faith for a lie. So he declares this mercy, this peace, this love, these divine benefits over the believers who were in the middle of this spiritual, cultural war. We need these today. And then he says, not only am I declaring these over you, I'm declaring that they're multiplied over you. They're multiplied. They increase exponentially over your life. So by declaring this triune blessing over the believers, he's assuring them and us that apologetics, defending the faith, comes with divine benefits that multiply when we use them. Mercy, peace, and love. Can somebody say, I'm with you, Pastor Robert. I'm with you. You with me still? Here's a third fill in the blank. Final truth regarding apologetics. Back to 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> apologetics must be motivated by and exercised in God's love. Come on, can somebody say amen? amen? The book of 1 Peter, Peter's writing to Christians that are suffering persecution because of their defending the faith and because of their obedience to Christ in a culture that was ungodly and going the opposite direction, running towards a cliff. And so he says in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17, listen, he says, Finally, all of you, again, every Christian, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Listen, not returning evil for evil or reviling, that's insult or censor or treating abusively for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Verse 10. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Now I want you to note, nothing abrasive, nothing um, abusive here. To the contrary, what did he say? Tender-hearted, courteous, compassionate, peaceful. Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, 
and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Next, Peter let them know the price tag, though, for living in truth. Verse 13. And he, oh, excuse me, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? In other words, normally no one will harm you for doing good. Verse 14, pay attention. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Who's their? T-H-E-I-R. Their threats are those who do evil. Those threats who call evil good. Verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Set them apart in your heart. And always, this is where we started, remember? And always be ready to give a defense. Apologia. To everyone who asks you a reason, listen, for the hope that is in you. Notice, with meekness and fear. Other translations say, with gentleness and respect. Other translations say, courteously and respectfully. Other translations say, with humility and reverence. Verse 16. Having a good, that's clear, conscience. That when they, the evildoers, the wickedness of the world, those who are opposing God, opposing truth, when they defame you as evildoers, that's what they're doing. That's what the minister said. All of those people who don't understand this trans movement, all of those people who aren't supportive of the LGBTQ movement, they're anti-Christ, they're anti-gospel. When they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct, that means they're abusive towards you, in Christ they may be ashamed. For or because it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Wow. Defending the faith in love. Okay, so Pastor Robert, what did we learn here today? Just real quick, concluding. Apologetics is meant to be a legitimate part of every Christian's life. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know everything. You could still be learning, but you can make a decision to stand your ground for the truth. Number two, Apologetics include divine benefits that multiply when you use them. And number three, apologetics must be motivated, listen, by and exercised in love. Have you been blessed by the word today? Come on, let's stand to your feet and let's pray. I know we didn't answer everything in today's lesson. I know there might be questions I know that this is a topic that's much bigger, it's much deeper, it's much broader than a 40-minute, 45-minute talk or one-hour service or whatever. But I'm just believing that the Holy Spirit's going to help us in these last days. God's going to help us in these last days. And we're going to progressively grow and learn how to do this together as a church. Amen? If you have any questions, you can pull me aside anytime. If I don't know the answer, I'll get them. I'm surrounded by some awesome teachers and pastors and experts in the Word. So we'll, we'll make sure we get you all the support that you can, that you can um, need, anything that you need. My wife has something that she wants to share real quickly. Let me see if I can give this to her.
such a good word. Such a sobering word. Um, what was coming to me as I was listening, just the word intentionality. If there's ever a time to be intentional about um, our pursuit of God. Um, I, was, I was listening to you. Listening and um, it's you know I was I got a picture just like soldiers that are have their helmet they have their sword they have their and they're going to to you know to battle so to speak right but then I see this wounded soldier that's kind of like I want to be there I want to help I want to be up in the front but I kind of have uh, these issues going on where I'm I'm kind of wounded I'm not there. Again, just I just sensed that the Lord was just saying intentionality. God wants to heal that wounded part, um, refresh, strengthen, give courage to where courage may not be at this time, um, and do give all so that we can function in all the gifting and all that God has for us. And it's okay. Um, so that, that's what I was just sensing from the Lord. Amen. Intentional to stay with God, to pursue God, to stay with the truth. And I like this. There's a grace that comes for it. There's an ability from the Lord. Would you just pray for, with me as we close? Father, we just thank you for the time that you've given us today. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Word of God. We're so grateful for your patience and your love and your grace over our lives. Lord, we're living in crazy times. And we don't know what to do to fix it. You're the only one who can. So we just ask for your presence and your power and your love and your grace to be with us, to be with our children and everything that we do. Help us to learn to defend the faith, to give a reason for the hope that we have and the truth that we stand on. And help us to do that courteously, lovingly, graciously, not hurtfully, not hatefully. Help us to do it the way Jesus would do it. In truth, with grace, with love, but not backing down. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and we all agree by saying... Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.